All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Bridge Church. Good morning to anyone else that is listening in, watching this broadcast online, uh, listening to it in their car, on the audio. Uh, it is a joy to be with you today in kind of this weird, different setting. Um, we're not gathered together on a Sunday service, but as you know by now, uh, we're, we're meeting virtually. So my name is Adam Condit. Um, I am certainly not the regular preaching pastor um, of the Bridge Church. Jerry uh, underwent some knee surgery, so he's going to be out for the next couple weeks. I'm going to provide the message today and tomorrow. I have done this a uh, few other times at a previous church before we moved back to Eau Claire, uh, but this is certainly the first time that it's happening uh, virtually. So we're, we're all kind of going through this together, and we know that God is in control of 2020. So let's get into it. We're going to continue into 1 Peter. We're going to get on chapter 4 today, and I'm super excited because chapter 4 holds what I believe is kind of the climax of this whole book and gives us some incredibly rich uh, gospel truth. So before we do that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going. Lord, give us, uh, give us this time that you've prepared for us as a time to uh, hear from you and not to hear from me. I pray that you would calm me down and you would calm us all down whenever we're seeing this, whatever the room or the, the living room or the car or the, maybe someone's listening to it while they walk on audio. Just whatever that setting is, God, we know that you've prepared people to listen to your message how you want them to and where and when you want them to. So this particular message in this particular time, we just pray over that um, my words would just fall flat compared to what you can do on our spirits and, and in our hearts, God. So we invite you to move and um, take us through 1 Peter 4 in a way that's helpful. Um, amen. All right, so we're getting into that time of year, right, where... Uh, Christmas is coming up. It's full-blown December, even though it doesn't feel like it in some ways in Wisconsin because we don't have any snow yet. But it is full-blown Christmas season. We're coming up on Advent. We're kind of marching through these Advent weeks. Um, Christmas decorations are everywhere. Uh, if you don't have your Christmas decorations up yet, you probably won't be putting them up. I don't know if you just, maybe you're going to do it still, but it seems like Christmas decorations are everywhere. We put ours up kind of for the first time since we've lived at this house in Eau Claire. I, we went to Menards, we got the stuff, we just had, we had to tighten up our Christmas decoration game. We were really doing poor until this year. And as we're going through different decorations, as we're seeing different things be put up by other people in the neighborhood or you drive by, I, I'm just struck at the variety, right? So there's everything from, well, in our neighborhood, there's someone that has Buddy the Elf, just six foot tall Buddy the Elf, just kind of wacky, screaming, you know, from that movie, Will Ferrell. Uh, and then there's a bunch of lights, of course. There's the people that only wrap the trunk of the tree, which in my opinion is just kind of, I don't know, I'm not a big fan. It just kind of looks weird. It just feels like they didn't finish the job. But if you're one of those people that just wrapped the trunk of the tree, uh, you know, more power to you. Just keep, keep doing that, even though I completely disagree with the, the approach. Um, we see wreaths. We see um, manger scenes. So we, we have a Christian worldview where this is a Christian holiday coming up on Christmas. But there's also holidays, other holidays, Jewish holidays, and just other holidays that, that we see decorations for. And one thing that struck me 
as I'm putting up our decorations, is we have a wreath as a cross. We have this, it's not a circular wreath, we have a wreath as a cross. And uh, when we ordered it, I just thought, yeah, I mean, we want to profess that we're Christians, we have this on our house. And then I start to put it up, and this is strange. Um, this is very strange to have the cross displayed during Christmas time. It's not wrong, and I, I, the more I think about it, um, I see how strange to a watching world and to the outside world this might be. Because the cross is where Jesus died. And we're coming up on the celebration of Jesus' birth. So Jesus' birth, right? We're awaiting the Messiah. We're awaiting this season of Advent where we're, we're waiting and waiting and waiting for this beautiful baby to be born in a barn. It just seems backwards to how the king of the world is going to be born. But we see these themes reoccurring in our Christian faith. Something just seems backwards to what the watching world might expect. And the wreath being a cross is one of those. It would be like showing up to a baby shower with bullets. It's just weird. It doesn't seem to line up with what we're actually celebrating. It would be like, well, actually, the wise men came with gold, frankincense, myrrh. Okay? Those aren't just gifts. Okay? Those are, one of those is actually used in embalming for a death, for a funeral. It's just weird to talk about a funeral or death or the cross during Christmas time, but it's not wrong. And it's in fact where we need to land to see why Jesus was born. So I'm going to take us through a couple different ways that in our introduction here, a couple different ways that our Christian faith has these contrasts and tensions, okay? We have contrast, tension, and seemingly these paradoxical these paradoxical themes all throughout our Christian faith that just look crazy to an outside world. Just think about this. The last will be first, Jesus says. It just seems backwards. It's hard to explain this to children. It's hard to explain this to people that don't, that don't meditate and read about these things. Whoever loses their life will find it. We have to remind ourselves how countercultural our faith is. All things work together for good for those who are called. All things, this is Romans 8.28, this is a, a life verse for a lot of people. But what does this mean? All things. This is, this is crazy. They all work together for, for good. Earlier, let me read a little bit earlier in Romans 8.28 is kind of where I've already started. But 8.22, he's describing some of these things. Okay, Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we have this theme of childbirth and, and Christmas, right? Not only at the creation, but we ourselves, the first fruits of the Spirit. So he's talking about Christians are not exempt from the groanings and the sufferings of this world. And we're going to get to 1 Peter here. This all is build up to how we can suffer well in 1 Peter 4. Okay, but all things work together for good for those who are called. What is part of all those things? Groaning. Groaning together in the pains of childbirth. So we have this stark contrast to what we know as Christians can be used for good. All things we believe can be used for good. Okay, so this is where I want to go with that. Is there good in the groaning? Does our groaning and does our suffering and does ultimately Christ's suffering have good in it? Okay? 
Because we know this, this world is not the world of social media. It is not the world of, of Disneyland where everything just seems great and it's kind of the highlight reel. This is why I like 1 Peter so much. This is why I like 1 Peter so much and it's because, <laughs> it's because he describes life so well. 1 Peter is full of joy, full of richness, of, of inexpressible joy, and he also is very honest about the groanings and the suffering of the Christian worldview and just our lives in general. Okay, so let's, let's kind of build, let's walk through 1 Peter. I'm going to give you a quick, hopefully five, six minute, just overview of where we've been in 1 Peter so we can kind of culminate at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter does well at describing how life truly is. It is not the life of Disney. I mean, my family went to Disneyland in, in January before the pandemic hit. We went to Disneyland, and it was a blast, and I loved it, right? And there's a certain amount of family joy that was had at Disneyland. I mean, I'm riding down a mountain on a log, right? I'm riding down a mountain on a log. We're, we're spinning around in teacups. Like, there's, there's popsicles and, and, and suckers bigger than my kid's head. It's, it's this weird, magical, crazy earth. Like, it's, it's, it's a land that shouldn't seem like it is on earth. It's just this Disneyland. And that's kind of what America and our comfort and our culture has become, is like, how can I maximize my comfort? How can I maximize my happiness and my, my thrill at the expense of suffering. And what we see in the Bible is that there's great reward and joy even in the pains of childbirth. My family has also had, we have three kids, so we've also had these deep, intimate explosions of joy in a birthing room. That feels different than the joy we, we experience at Disneyland. We have these, my wife and I have had tears and embrace, I mean, I can't even explain it. It's joy inexpressible. We've had tears and, and heartfelt, deep, satisfying joy and community with each other in the birthing room. And there's blood on the floor, and it's, it's kind of a mess. And this is the joy, this is the life that First Peter talks about. In the midst of suffering, there's a baby to be born. There is joy Okay, so let's, let's continue in 1 Peter. I want to I put before us something from chapter 1, 2, and 3 before we get to verse 4, because verse, or chapter 4. Chapter 4 can be really misinterpreted as, or the beginning of chapter 4, where we're going to be today. I don't want to just tell you what not to do. Okay, that is not gospel, gospel preaching. That's not a gospel message. What we want to do is put before us how great a living hope is, because 1 Peter, our whole sermon series, is called Hope in Adversity, right? There is hope in in adversity, there's this contrast once again. So I want to describe that well, and I want to remember what we've been going through this whole month and last month in 1 Peter, and I'm going to start 1 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The begin I just want to read this again. This is the biggest section that I'm going to read here in, in review. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is unfading. Okay? This is what we, this is what we need to keep in our minds as, as Christians here. An inheritance that is unfading. This is good news. Def undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. We've been saved. 
ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. This is all goodness. I'm all about this. Let's go. Though for now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What? That kind of came out of nowhere. This feels like it doesn't fit with the rest of this. It's like a little fly in the soup. Okay, let's keep reading. Though now you, for a little while, in this little time on earth, whether it's 20 years, 25 years, 50 years, 70 years you're going to live, 100 years, 110 years, that's a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, here we go again, Talk, talk to me more about my faith that's more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. We're going to see this mirrored back in chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, once we get there in a couple weeks. So your faith that's more precious than gold, yes, tell me more about this good stuff that perishes though, well, he's talking about the gold that perishes. So your faith will be tested by fire. Okay, it just seems like it doesn't fit with, with how I come to the table, with, with our natural way of thinking. This just feels like another booger in the pudding. It just, it just doesn't feel like it fits, but it does, right? Our, our faith and the scriptures are riddled with these contrasts. Tested by fire, our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is great. And this is actually my life verse. 1 Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you just walk through this weird, dark Christian life that's unassuming and uh, is really boring because you don't get to go to the drunken parties. No. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So I want to remind us, Peter's all about our joy. He talks a lot about suffering. He talks a lot about real life. He talks a lot about things that hurt. But he's all about our joy. And they go together. Let's continue. Chapter 2 is, is full of this as well. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, Jesus' suffering that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We are healed by wounds. Jesus' wounds, he died for us. So there's this contrast once again. Let's continue. In chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sin. So there's Christ's suffering. This is the gospel in a little nutshell here. 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins that the righteous the righteous for the unrighteous. He is righteous, we are not. But he suffered once for sins that he may bring us to God. Christ suffered, so we're brought to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You have death into life. Death into life. Now, this is what I've always, death to life is how I've always been able to explain the gospel, and that's kind of my little quick one-liner. If people say, I don't get what the Christian worldview is about, I don't get how you can live this different life or have different priorities, there's death into life. It seems countercultural. 
Something must die for something else to live. And it's really easy to just think, Jesus died so we can live. And that's true. Jesus died so we can live. And I agree with that. And I think that's a little too simplistic sometimes. Because what, what uh, Peter's getting at is that there is Jesus' death that we can't do. He did suffer once for sins. But we have a death as well. We have a death in our sin. We put, he took our sin, put it upon himself, and so we have a death to sin so that we may be alive in the spirit. So there is a death in our flesh from Jesus' death now that we can be alive in the spirit. So it kind of, I think it's a little bit more complete to say Jesus' death leads to our death of our sin, which leads to our life in the spirit. And we're going to see this in chapter 4 as well. Okay, so this is essentially where I want to land today. This is, in my opinion, this has been all, all been introduction, by the way, okay, and we're right on time here. We're going to get to chapter four right now. This is how I believe chapter four fits in well with First Peter. We've been seeing this spiraling, these themes of contrast, Jesus suffering, our joy, Jesus suffering in death our death to sin, our life in the spirit. We keep seeing it spiraling and popping up in chapter one, two, and three. And now chapter four happens. And I believe the climax of chapter four and the whole book here is actually in a couple weeks from now in uh, verse 12 and 13. But I want to get us there well in these next couple weeks. Verse 12 and 13, I want to I read chapter four, verse 12 and 13 real quick because it's a great verse. And I want us to know where we're going before I preach and get through uh, verse 1 through 6 today and then verse 7 through 11 next week, okay? So I'm just going to kind of get us a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but this is where we want to get to as Christians. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, this is verse 12, at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you, just like our faith being tested through fire in chapter 1 as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Peter is not about just being a martyr for the sake of being a martyr. Don't be surprised when your faith is under fire. So rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad for there's glory to be revealed. So this is where we're going. I, 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 it's so tempting to just speak more on that. Because this is, I believe, the climax of all First Peter. To get there is, is important. I want to get to a place where in my life I can rejoice in suffering. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm not there. <laughs> my garage door broke a couple weeks ago, and I about had a conniption. I felt like the whole world was crashing in on me. And, and that's, a, I mean, that's not even a suffering. The garage door broke. Okay, we had to rearrange our schedule for the morning. We couldn't get the car out of the, out of the garage. It just pales in comparison to the real, true sufferings that we encounter with death and with sickness and with relational baggage. And there's just, there's sin in the world. It's heavy, right? And I want to get to a place where we can suffer well. And I, just, I think of suffering well, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm about done talking about this because Jerry's going to preach this in two weeks. I want to get to a place where we suffer well, where it's kind of like every four years the Olympics comes around and it's on display, all these amazing athletes and they're suffering and they're rejoicing in glory. 
You see them compete. You, you, get these, uh, you get these sports like gymnastics and swimming and track and field that people usually don't care about. And then every four years, it's like the Super Bowl for them. They get to be highlighted. We get to see them do their craft. And basically, I mean, to do athletics is to suffer in a certain way. They're displaying how they can uh, do their skills, and it hurts, and then there's glory. And we get to see that in the Olympics, and I'm a big fan of, of watching that stuff, and, I, and I'm thinking about this. Okay, nobody just, that, to just jump to the Olympics and to just jump to, and talk about suffering and, and joy is missing the whole four years in between. We need to, nobody just wakes up and can do, uh, you know, do a floor routine and do a triple sow cow or whatever it's called. I don't even know. Nobody just wakes up and, and can do what these Olympians do on game day, right? Nobody can just wake up and run a marathon at 2.03, two hours and three minutes. Nobody just wakes up and does that. There's living well. There's the training. There's the, there's the, Four years in between where they'll, they'll tell you. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes on before you are on game day. And it's a daily routine. It's a daily practice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about living well so we can love well so eventually we can be in a place where we can suffer well. And why do we want to suffer well? So our joy may increase. A maximum amount of suffering at the cross and a maximum payout, a maximum amount of joy and glory and salvation done at the cross. They go together. All right, so here we go. We're finally in chapter four. Let's take a look. So if you have your Bibles with you on the app, uh, wherever, uh, get to First Peter chapter four. I'm going to kind of keep this right here for us on the screen so we can kind of just keep in mind where we are because I don't want to just come out and say, uh, don't do bad things. And it, it might feel like that if we just focus on a couple verses in chapter 4, 1 through 6. I want this in context of what Peter's been building in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and eventually what we're aiming for, which is maximum joy and maximum glory for God. Here we go. Chapter 1, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 4, what we do is look at Christ's sufferings. Let me read this. Verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, it, I mean, we can just stop at the first two, two words. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, whenever you see a therefore, it's referencing something probably that's just been talked about. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, what do we do? He's talking about uh, chapter 3, verse 18, which we've already gone through. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So First Peter's saying, you need to get this way of thinking. And the way that you think about suffering well is you look at Christ's sufferings. Okay? There's a poor way to suffer. And there's a good way to suffer. And to get us into the right mindset and to, to get our spirits in line with what God has for us in suffering well, we need to first look at the perfect sufferer, which is Christ. We need to look at Christ's sufferings, okay? We're going to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. So we look at Christ, and that is, it's like putting on armor. It's like being prepared for our sufferings. It's like, it's like getting into the right 
way of thinking to continually meditate on what did Christ do for me? Who is Christ? How is he different than how I was born? He is God. I am not. He is creator. I am creation. It's constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves, being in community, putting ourselves in a way of thinking that displays and highlights Christ's sufferings. Because if all of a sudden we're just blindsided with sufferings and we have no, we have no you know, uh, measure of how to do it well, we're going to get blown over. Our flesh will get the best of us and we won't be able to suffer the way that Christ suffered. So we put ourselves looking at Christ's sufferings. All right, let's continue. Verse 2 and 3. Okay, there's a couple other things that are going to be helpful to live well. Now, so again, we're going to kind of build over here. Jesus' death, we're going to look at Jesus' death, and then that's going to highlight how we need to die, not in the same way Jesus did. He had no sin. We need to die to our flesh and to our sin so that we may live in the Spirit. It's not just Jesus died so we get into heaven. It's Jesus died so we may die to our sin so that we may live in the Spirit. Okay, so here we go. Verse 2 and 3. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer, there's a death there, to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer, something stops, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices. That just means it's been enough time. There's been enough time. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So no matter what age you are, when you come to Christ, if you're eight years old, if you're 30 years old, if you're 75 years old, whatever age, the time that has passed suffices. There's been enough time for this living. We're living in our flesh. We're born into this world wanting to glorify ourselves and basically be God. We're living for ourselves. And he says, the time that has passed suffices. And so this is as simple as saying, it's, it's enough time. There's lifestyles and people out there and, and folks that are claiming to be Christians and people that are Christians that still have this stronghold in their life that they go to bed and they know that what they're doing on a regular basis is wrong and they're living in sin and I've been in that season before and I'm just kind of okay and I, I compartmentalize these parts of my life and, and I just continue onward and day after day it just sits there. And what First Peter is saying, what First Peter 4, 3 is saying is that the time has passed for that to happen. The time that is past suffices. That's enough. He's saying there is a difference in our lives that needs to happen. We need to put our flesh, our sin to death so that we may be alive in the spirit. Okay? Uh, someone that is training for the Olympics, with that analogy again, they put to death a certain lifestyle of drunkenness, of, of maybe eating improperly, for a new lifestyle of training and to live in their athletic endeavors. Whereas what we're talking about is to put to death our sinful flesh so that we may be alive in the spirit. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too in this, in this case, okay? And what we're, gonna, 
what we're going to lead to. So that's just a practical part. Where there needs to be life in the spirit, there needs to be death in the flesh. And Christ's sufferings helps us even be capable of doing that, but there does need to be our death to sin. All right, let's continue onward. Let's go to, and by the way, it's really easy to just, I, I'm, I might as well mention this. It's really easy to just read through this list, especially folks that grow up in the church and don't really go to drunkenness parties. There's orgies and drinking parties and passions and sensuality. We normally kind of can blow through this list and go, I'm good. I don't go to those parties. The last thing says lawless idolatry. Idolatry just means putting anything in your life above God. And it says, the time that is past suffices. That's enough. So idolatry could be holding uh, your work above God, holding your money above God, holding your time even with your family above God. If you're not spending time with God and you're too invested in any other relationship and you put it above God, that's an idol. Okay? And I've got idols in my life. We need to be, we need to be uh, aware of this. We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with each other in the church about wh- where are our idols? Because this isn't just, oh, it's those people that go to those parties and we're over here not dealing with this because we've been saved. Depending on the day or the season of life or the moment or this pandemic year when your life is going in and out of these different rhythms, I'm going in and out of idolatry constantly. So we need to be honest about what this verse is saying. He's saying it's enough with idolatry. All right, verse four, let's move on. Oh, excuse me. Yes, verse four and five. Now, um, I would love to think that just living well as a Christian makes the whole world go, oh, I won't go to the drunkenness parties anymore either, or I will, I will realign my life how you are. And we see in verse four and five that people are surprised and they malign you. Okay, verse four and five is is other people's response. Other people respond like this. With respect to this, with not, with not doing what the world, with not conforming to the world, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account for, who, for him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So this, this is basically saying, don't be surprised when they're surprised. Because the world is going to think this is weird for you not to live into your flesh. We're born wanting to live into our flesh and wanting to just please ourselves in a thousand different ways. And it's going to be weird to most people to the fact where they're actually going to want to drag you through the mud for it. They're going to malign you, and this is not new to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, remember it says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And it actually says to bless those. Bless for this is what you were called. You're called to bless people that bruise you, is one way that I've heard it said. You're called to bless people that are trying to get at you. And, and, and I, just, I just want this to be a reality. Because some people will see our living and see something attractive by it and, and, and have a distaste for what their flesh is doing, and that's an evidence that God is already calling them into joy through, through life in the Spirit. But a lot of folks are just going to be against it. They're just not going to get it, and it just doesn't make sense. It's as if you're speaking another language that they don't even understand. Okay, And we need to be aware of that, and we need to know we're not judging them. God is the ultimate judge, and it's not our responsibility to come back on them 
and to set them straight in their flesh, we need to highlight how good Christ is. And that's what verse 6 does. Okay, so we're almost through here. Verse 6, we finish off with gospel preaching. This kind of feels weird. The, the transi- I don't feel like, first P- like Peter's transition here is, is uh, it doesn't strike me as very um, natural. But again, we continue to see this contrast throughout our Christian faith of what seems contrary to what we might think is, is, uh, is right. So others are going to malign us, and our flesh, say, our flesh says, I want to repay evil with evil. I want to repay um, reviling with other reviling. But the Bible says to repay them with blessing. And what we do is we preach the gospel. Okay? We preach the gospel. We know God judges and we preach the gospel. This is why the gospel was preached, verse 6. This is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, there is a judgment for our flesh. They might live in the spirit the way that God does. Okay? They might live in the spirit the way that God does. So, how do we do this? I mean, First Peter keeps spiraling on these things. We don't have to look back too far. Even in verse 3, like I've, been, like I've been here for a little, or excuse me, chapter 3, a chapter before this, not paying evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Further down in chapter 3, it says to be ready, right? Have no fear nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor the Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So we need to be prepared to tell people the truth. We can't just expect to live a different way and not tell people, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay? And Jerry's preached through this, um, but just as a reminder, we are not called to judge and come down on people's flesh. God deals with the flesh. God deals with our sin, and we are called to preach the gospel in truth, in love. Okay? A lot of truth in love. Now, uh, I hesitate towards even bringing this up, but there is a saying out there, and there's a concept, I feel like, that there's a saying out there that says, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I think I get what people are saying with that. I think when people say, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, I think they're highlighting the goodness of gospel living, that people should know something's different about our lives, right? Where I get a little uh, confused with that, if people just stop there, is verse 6, and especially in Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This is describing a very primary means of grace, a a very primary way that God calls us to share with other people. So it's not just about living differently and then I'm kind of done. It's being ready with our reasons, being, being ready with our gospel preaching. And I just don't want us to be afraid of the word preaching. Um, it, a lot of people think that's just a sermon. It's just Sundays. And gospel, I preach the gospel to myself constantly. When, like my example before, the garage door broke. 
and I'm in my flesh, and I need gospel preaching right there. In my flesh, I want to literally kick the garage door. I, I don't want to keep my head co calm, cool, and collected. I want to, I know that my schedule for the morning has kind of been shot, and my flesh is rising up, and I need the gospel preached to me that says, God's suffering is bigger than this garage door. You are bought with a price. It's done. It's finished. You're accepted. Your acceptance, your identity is not in keeping your tasks for the morning. You, you don't need to be undone because Christ has been undone. Okay? So even when the job interview fails, even when our kids are acting out, even when this, that, and the other, our life seems out of order, we need gospel preaching. So we need gospel truths, gospel truths spoken to ourselves by ourselves, by other people we're in community with. That's what gospel preaching is, okay? So by other Christians, by ourselves, by the pastors, this is all gospel preaching, and we need it in verbal form for us to remember the, the good news of God. All right, so, so where are we going with this? Because this is, this is the part of a lot of sermons where we can just feel like we need to, you know, do better than the world, and I've kind of given you a list of things not to do, or Peter has anyway, and it just feels a little discouraging if we're in our sin, and here's the list of things we should be doing, and here's the list of things that we shouldn't be doing, and that is not the gospel, okay? I want to move to our last slide here and kind of finish with this. How and why does this even matter? Like, I agree, we need to do gospel living. Our lives and our calendars and our checkbooks and the way we deal with money and the way that our sexual ethics occur in our lives, they probably will look different than the world. They should look different. But how do we even do that? How do we even do a different life? How do we do gospel living? How is that done? And why? Okay, and we're going to jump ahead a little bit to next week. Next week we're going to get into um, the next verses here in chapter 4, but it gives us a hint, okay? It gives us a hint into how and why this is all done. It's done by God's grace, okay? I don't have it within myself to just pick myself up by my bootstraps and live a different life. It says in the Bible that we were born in sin, that we're born opposing God, that we love the darkness, the reason that people sin is not because they just made a mistake. It's not why I sin. It's because we're born into a flesh that loves the darkness. We have different passions other than God. And we need God to reverse and realign and undo these passions and put them on something greater. Okay, so we can't just pick ourselves up and do this ourselves. Watch this. We're going to get into this a little bit next week. Chapter 4 continues, and it says, As each of us has received a gift, a gift, use it to serve one another, so do things, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, who speaks the word of God, whoever serves, whoever does these things, these are things we're doing, as one who serves by the strength of God supplies. By the strength that God supplies. So it's God supplying our strength, right? In order in everything that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. 
So God supplies the means for us to even live differently and to preach the gospel, and God is glorified. This is all about God. The Bible is all about God. The Bible is all about God. The Bible is about God changing us and bringing glory to God through our joy. (laughs) We're going to get there. Remember, there's explosions of joy in our suffering. God died so we might die to sin, so we might live in the Spirit, okay? But let's not forget this middle part here. Our death is to our sin. It's not just Jesus died so we live and go to heaven. It's Jesus died so we have death to our sin. He took it upon him. We have a different life. People see that. They might even disagree with it. They might even drag our name through the mud. They might be confused by it. And then our gospel preaching is the good news of life in the Spirit. Let me close with this. Just to highlight the difference and the transformation that needs to happen in our nature. Because that's what the gospel is. That's what the Bible is. It is, a, it is all about God, and it's all about change. Because God, God does not change, and we need to change. God does not change. He's everlasting. He's the rock, as it's described. He's not going to change. He's the cornerstone that doesn't move when you build the church. He is unchanging. And the gospel for us is all about change. His power changes us. It's transformation. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. The gospel is that of transformation, of change. I can't just keep my same flesh, keep my same equipment, and expect to change. I need God to change my heart take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. This is the message of transformation and changing. And this is how C.S. Lewis describes it, and we'll finish with this, okay? And it feels like we're kind of getting the short end of the stick, right? We don't get to go to the parties. We don't get to do the drunkenness. We don't get to do that, this, that, and the other. And that's why I wanted to eventually land. That's why I wanted to bring us through 1 Peter where he describes in, verse, in chapter 1 the inexpressible joy. There's something better than the parties here at earth. It would seem that our Lord finds the desires not too strong but too weak. This is C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We have half-hearted creatures. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, is the way he puts it. And I agree with that. Okay? The Disneyland joy... The social media joy, such a weak, short-sighted return. But the birthing room joy, the childbearing joy, if I could put it that way. As a guy, I'm sure a lot of you will just not believe me with that. But speak to my wife about how much she loves our kids. (laughs) And she did go through a lot, a lot of suffering in that way. So that's a little picture. That's a little Christmas picture. We have a birth here. There are birthing pains for an incredible joy of Jesus on the cross for our salvation, for his glory.
Okay, let's pray, and we'll be done. God, thank you for bringing this to us through Peter. Thank you ultimately for bringing this all to us through your son. And I pray that you would give us an understanding that only we can do with your power, God, that my words are just not enough. Uh, they're just, it's like, a, it's like a big distraction a lot of times to be speaking too much. So I pray that you would just calm us down and give us what your spirit intends to give us during this time, God. Help us reflect on 1 Peter 4 throughout the week that we might get to a place where our suffering has explosions of joy in it. Amen.